Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This week's episode features Nanda Chiara, a fine art and NFT artist who has been featured at the UNESCO Paris 2022, the World Economic Forum 2023, and at NFT NYC 2023. We speak about what NFTs are, about the value of art as NFTs, both to the artist and the buyer, why fine art purchases are not always open to the first right of NFTs, as well as interaction with copyright, ownership and authorship, and looking at artificial intelligence in art making, the role of the metaverse, and where we are as an industry, how we can grow, including how ASMR plays a role in helping people interact with digital art. So Nanda, welcome. Thanks for coming down. Thank you for having me, Matt. Really appreciate Super it. Super exciting. Well, hopefully, let's let's have a good conversation. Looking forward to it. So I've seen online you're described as a, a and I quote, a multi-dimensional artist using oversized canvases. Um, usually on the themes of evolution and change. Is that still true? And how would you describe yourself? So, um, hi, everyone. I'm Nanda Chiara, and uh, I'm a contemporary fine art artist as well as a digital artist. But within this realm, I use different multiple techniques to get and complete my art. Mm -hmm. So I've been a fine art artist for 18 years now, and I've been in the Web3 space since 2017. So that is a little bit of an introduction to me. Mm. Multidimensional, because I work in fine art using acrylics, inks, oils, and other sort of mediums to create my art. Mm. And then I'm also a writer and a storyteller. I recently published online my book, which was on my series, Walk My World series, which was exhibited at UNESCO. And that has got a poem against each art piece as well, which was published. So those are that is how I feel I'm multidimensional. And is it a little bit like when you go for a fancy dinner and they have a wine pairing so that there'll be a, a piece of art and then the pairing is the poem? Is that is that how? That is. That is the way the story is told. So I can either do the storytelling, which I do a lot of times, but then sometimes I am not there to describe the story. So I do the poems so people can read the poems and get the sense of the art. So yeah. And does that give context to what the art is or is that just a uh, uh, complementary of it? So sometimes you go to a gallery and it gives you some historical information to contextualize the art. And sometimes they may, as you've done, give a, a, a sort of other medium by which the art continues beyond the canvas into another medium. Is, is, it sounds like the latter. I think what happens is when I create my pieces, I do abstract art mm -hmm. and the way people perceive it, they have their own perception of it. So they see different things from what I see. And the poetry or the story gives them an additional sort of a viewpoint, a global viewpoint of what mm -hmm. the artist is thinking when she's created it or when he or she has created it, I should say. Mm -hmm. And what the viewer may do, usually I find is viewers have their own story. I can tell you loads of stories that viewers have come up with where my eye has been described as a mouth of a shark. Mm -hmm. I'm like, where do you say this? As long as you say it, that's fine. I'm like, okay, but it's really exciting because the story changes. Mm -hmm. The story keeps on adding. So the canvas keeps on traveling. The more the canvas travels, 
the more the stories evolved. So it's quite interesting. It's like you're writing a book. Okay. Matt. Well, I mean, that, that seems to me the way that abstract art sometimes is. And I want to delve into sort of what makes us in front of each other today, which is understand that, that it's fine art, but where does the digital artist come from? What does that term mean to you? So I entered into the digital art space five years ago when I was doing um, an article for a magazine called G2, and I was writing about the arts and culture section. And at that time, I said the way forward is crypto and art. There is no, There was no NFTs then. Well, fact. five years ago, yeah, that's before we had a lot of the exactly. NFT projects. So I said there is crypto and there's art. So the way it's going to go is crypto and art are going to be the ideal way forward as a partnership. And at that time, I said, die, Litecoin, and so on. My editors didn't believe in me. They didn't like it because the magazine was usually featuring the top Indian billionaires like the Ambani's and the Tatas and the Virlas. And what they didn't like was to mention crypto. Was it a dirty word in your industry at the time? It was. They said, oh my God, you're talking about the black market. <laughs> like, okay, but this is the future. Mm -hmm. I'd written like five or six paragraphs. They cut that down to four sentences. But what they did cover was the, everything else, like they covered what I wrote about Sotheby's, Christie's, um, Bonham's, the art galleries. and Stuff Mayfair. that they were comfortable with, they kept in, right? Exactly. And they felt because it's the arts and cultural section, it would sort of rub their big sort of featured people on the top cover. Well, I suppose they have to appeal to their audience, but... I mean, maybe you had the, fore the foresight to, to sort of enter into this space at an early time. Yeah, that's when I started. So going back to your question, I looked at that and I started doing photographs of my works and I started playing with it. I never created an NFT, if that's what you say, hmm. but I did use the lens and I used the lens to re-look at my art and to see how it would go. And using a, a camera to look at the art in detail is something that's been going on since... You know, 16th century. Mm -hmm. It was called camera obscura then. Uh, just, then. Just for people who don't understand, I guess it's a it's a it's a way of looking at art through what a, an artificial lens through a camera. A lens. Okay. It's called a lens. Yeah. It's a concave effect. Okay. And then you can see things up front and close and see what it is. Is it a bit like macro, sort of looking at it? Okay. And okay. then you keep on changing it, and you can play with different colors, and you can play with different filters. Mm. And that is what it does. And it gives you a different impression. So if you've got a painting where you've painted reds and blues, you might want to do a lens and see how it looks in black and white mm. and then come back and make a decision. Ah, so it gives you a different perspective of something that you've already created, which may lead to something else. Yes. So that's how I started using, sort of entered the digital space. Not that I created, but also historically, even Gerard Richter, one of the most famous artists. With the big squeegees, right? With the big squeegees and so on. He also used photography. He used to print his photographs onto the canvases and then paint on top of it. Just to give you an idea how people, it's something that has been there historically. It's not something new. But now it has come after like 500 years of Renaissance and so on. It's called an NFT now. It's called digital art. So I want to dig into this journey of yours a little bit more because there is, and and I'm sure my dad will forgive me for for sort of phrasing it on him, but you know he he tells me you know we've got a piece of art. Why do we necessarily need to to distill it down in something digital? And I'll come on to that in a bit. But 
I want to learn more about your journey. So a friend of a friend of mine, he's the gallery director at a place called Connell Brown, which is um, modern contemporary, um, and he deals with fine art. And a few years back, we were talking about NFTs, and we set up a little WhatsApp group with another friend, and we were figuring out what it all meant for the art world. We were talking about provenance and how exciting that is. And I can see that you were a gallery owner in London and Mumbai for several years. So can you tell me about the galleries that you worked in? and how you've come to the world of art now through NFTs, just your journey generally. So my journey into art, like I said, started 18 years ago. I was a hidden closet artist. I didn't come out of the closet, <laughs> let me put it this way. Right, were you doing another job before? Is that what it means? Yes, okay. and I didn't come out um, completely to state I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. I did my education in art, in interior architecture, actually, to be precise, and my undergrad was in applied arts. So I did come to the UK to study, and I moved from Kuwait. I was born and brought up in Kuwait in the Middle East, and then I moved to the UK to study. And at that time, my instructor, my tutor, head of the department, Sandy Sampliner said to me, you should do fine art because you've got the eye, you've got the colors and you do the storytelling and you get it right. So that was my first sort of mentor and push towards fine art and that I should do it. Um, that's where my journey started. And as far as fine art, as digital art mm. is concerned, my journey in the digital arts realm started in 2017, like I said, when I was writing for the magazine G2. And from there, I kept on doing research and going back. I always went back to Sotheby's and Bonhams and Christie's and the big art sort of players yeah. in the market for references. And their comment at every time was no comment or we do not believe in NFTs, we do not believe in digital art. And they were completely against it. And that is the way and I kept on following them instead of moving more and more in creating. But I started my NFTs in 2022. So that's how I started. When I say started, I started putting it on the market. So there's a difference, right, between, and maybe you're a protagonist with all of these these <laughs> these big uh, um, art houses and auctioneers. Is that fair to say you were a bit of a protagonist? You were pushing them and saying, look, this is actually quite a big thing. And, and they're pushing back and saying, we're ignoring it. And that led you then to create art. It was it was exactly like, you know, the meetups that we had and the meetups that we've been to and mm -hmm. the gatherings that we've been to. They're discussing a lot of different parts of art. They're discussing Renaissance, modern, contemporary art, the different types, the different artists. But they will not, they did not address, they do address photography and they do address photography prints. And then they do address fine art, and then they do address fine art as digital prints. But what they didn't accept was the term NFT. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. Okay. It's a very strange way to look at it because I think whether they like it or not, it has been there. But people the, say that a lot about general crypto assets, don't they? They go, well, you know, what value does it have? Well, it's here, so it's got to have some value and, and people are buying into it. So whether you like it or not, you you better start sort of understanding the, the market and what it looks like. I think let's break it down a little bit. So what's what's your definition of an NFT? And again, maybe answer it for, for people like my dad who, who are desperate to sort of understand why this is around. Um, an NFT, the full form, as everyone knows, is a non-fungible token. Mm -hmm. And in simplistic terms, it is a piece of digital art mm -hmm. that you can own in your wallet. It is affected on the blockchain. And when I say the transaction is affected on the blockchain, 
it's a permanent record for life that you own this art piece. Mm. It is not something that someone can take away from you. It is yours and it'll be in your wallet. So that in simplistic terms, if it makes sense. Now, the where it gets more confusing or where it gets more um, different is the difference between Web 2 and Web 3 mm -hmm. and the interaction not being there. Mass adoption is not there. Because mass adoption is not there, people are really worried. There was an article that someone sent to me in 2001 when internet first came out. People were like, this is not going to happen. What is this hotmail? What is this streaming? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we are at that phase and there isn't mass adoption. When mass adoption comes in, people will realize the value of this piece of mm. digital art that they own in their wallet. Now, when I say art, it can be art, it can be a tweet, it can be a, a video, it could be a property, it could be anything. But it acts as your certificate of authenticity that you own it because it is in your wallet. Your key is your wallet, so it is yours. So simplistically, that is what I would say. I think, I mean, I that was very eloquently done. I think my definition of, of sort of Web3 generally is is ownership and nfts play a big part in that so web 2 um, is all about sort of streaming things or a third party owns it and you sort of borrow it web 3 is about actually being able to own your own digital assets and the way you do that is in this instance via nfts there is one specific entry on the blockchain which is relevant to that piece of art and you are able to own it i think that's mainly how you've ended up sort of producing art on that basis, right? Because people want to know provenance. People want to know that they can properly own that piece of art. And that's how you've come to create art. Absolutely. I mean, there is um, also the fact that a fine art piece can now be an NFT. And that is another way, going back to the provenance question, you own it and it is put onto the blockchain, something that cannot be refuted, deleted, and mm. it is a permanent record. Um, that goes on to your, to anyone's file, I suppose. But there's, and again, um, I know my dad is listening and I, I apologize, I'm using it as an example, but there are arguments, and I think he's made it to me, that, you know, you buy a piece of digital art, you want to look at it, right? So you may want to, you want to print it on your wall so you can put it up in your house or whatever it may be. But if you have an NFT, you have to double click on it and then it's on your screen. And is that really how we want to engage with art? So I suppose my question is, what, what, what role does NFTs or what, what do NFTs bring as an, a value add beyond um, digitalization? And we think of, you know, Hockney, for instance, he was doing loads of these sort of iPad drawings. So we understand that there is a digitalization of the medium. But what addition do NFTs bring? I suppose we said provenance. What else is there? Besides provenance, it's also beneficial to the artists. They know where their NFT is gone, first and foremost. Um, my clients traditionally, when, I, when a gallery or a agency comes and buys my art and picks mm. it up, I do not know where my art piece has gone. I have no idea where it has gone. I have do you no care? Idea. I do. Why? It's emotional. Okay, that's a nice answer. It's very emotional, you know. You've created this canvas. Some of my canvases, the blank canvases, I bought it in Mumbai. Then I had them shipped here when I moved here seven years ago back to the UK. And I must have created half there and half here. So there's a story. When you look at it, there's a full story and the art piece travels. And when the art piece travels, I recently sold one painting 
and it has moved to Singapore. It is moving. As of today, they were packing. Oh, wow. So by Wednesday, it's going to be on a container moving to Singapore. So the, the painting has its own life, and the painting carries its own story. Paintings can talk as well. Um, there's an amazing book that I read, The Improbability of Love by Hannah Rothschild. And in that, the painting is talking about a story which is 400 years from now, where it was, where it went, it belonged. It's an old masterpiece, but they have their own stories. So I would like to know where my paintings are. I don't find out. And most of the galleries and the agencies says this is due to GDPR. Yeah, well, I mean, that to some extent, that's fair enough. Because that's fair enough. They don't have to or are, to some extent, obliged to prevent third parties from dealing with their clients' data. Exactly. Right. But what NFTs do, what the digital art world does is when the certificate is there and if it ever sells again or exchanges hands again, the artist automatically gets a royalty, gets the recognition that they did the world and the artist history goes on. What I like is that you've started with the emotional and then secondary is the royalty because to my mind, one of the benefits is that the artist in each, in each transfer gets a royalty. Your answer was far nicer. There's an emotional attachment to it. I'm attached to my paintings. I'm writing an article right now, which I'll publish a blog actually, the journey of my painting. And when my art goes, sometimes I don't know and I get quite like, so I create imaginary interiors being an interior architecture mm -hmm. designer. So I create imaginary interiors and see my art over there, but I don't know where it is. It's and you can look at it on the relevant blockchain and see exactly who owns it digitally and that, at that exact moment. You may not know exactly where they live, but by the pseudonymization of the owner, you should be able to see sort of exactly who has it. Exactly. By, by the... You're right on that, Matt. It's just a nice feeling to know where my art has traveled, even if it's traveled to Timbuktu. I just want to know... Where is it? Which wall is it on? You know, or else you, uh, or else your imagination is like, I'll create it, so I recreate my interiors. Yeah, like it's hard to. I guess you sort of lose it, don't you? It's sold in the normal world, and it's sort of gone. At least this time, there's an emotional attachment. I have kept images of everything I've created. Oh, nice, good. And I keep on sort of uh, looking at them sometimes, looking at the story. Where is it? Where is it traveled to? You know, I was born and brought up in Kuwait in the Middle East, and then I moved to the UK to study. Then I moved to Dubai for a few years. Then I came back to do my master's in the UK. Then I moved to Hong Kong for a few years. Back, so I've lived in like 16 different cities and um, four continents. And because of that, I've traveled so much. I think my art has picked up you. my vibes and they it also travels. And I'm like <laughs> always curious where have they gone? Who's seen it? What stories have mm. come out of it? What have people seen? So it's just... Yeah, it's like knowing. That's uh, that's a really nice answer. If you have um, something that you've created, you would like to know where it's gone. Yeah, mostly all of my arts in my garage, and there was a leak recently. <laughs> since anyway, but that's another story. So just turning to sort of NFT projects. When I think of NFT, when people think of NFTs, they think of CryptoPunks and Bored Ape Yacht Club. Does that interact with your world? What rights do those projects give users? How does it touch on art specifically? So, you know, um, usually when it comes to BAYC and CryptoPunks, it is like they've got, they're a very different breed from fine art. Mm -hmm. I personally think they're different. And they create 10,000 digitally um, NFTs. Mm -hmm. And the thing with 
those sort of projects is they've got big funding, they've got big labs, they've mm-hmm. got a big community, they've got a big presence. So every member, there is a big comradeship and a community. When Black's um, club started in London, the mm. crypto club, as we know, I was invited to go to one of the pre-launch openings, which was held at the bank club in mm. London. I met 18 of these young, I would say between 18 to 25 year olds, and they were all owning, they all owned a BAYC. Right. It was an absolute pleasure to meet them. They were so down to earth. They were so, one of the guys really cracked me up. He goes, my mother's asked me to move out. She thinks I have enough money and I need to move <laughs> out of my house. Well, especially if he's buying some of those. And he's what, um, and they also sort of, the way it interacts is they have educated themselves on fine art. Mm. They all went and bought the Damien Hirst um, 10,000 10, currency that he is that Is that the one where you, just, you could either keep it as an NFT or it got destroyed? Is that something else? Yeah. So they all went and bought that. Okay. So it is, there is an interaction in that sense that the projects that are 10,000 pieces and so on, which are defined as art, is now sort of educating the younger generation about fine art and they are getting involved. So they are starting to research, they're starting to understand Renaissance. I love that bit of it. I think it's beautiful. But the other thing of BAYC is the community they create is incredible. When this bunch of BAYC members entered the club, they came in as a full group. There was like 18 of them, they came in together, they left together. They sat with everyone and they interacted with everyone, which was really nice. But they were talking about the benefits. They get to go to see, um, they get a box at Man U to watch a match. Right. They get uh, special privileges. They get invited to the first. They get to know about the new works coming up or the new sort of drop coming up. So that has created a big community but support each other so i think those are some of the big benefits that the bayc members would get yeah it's not only a community like all money based it's also about sports it's about culture it's about art it's about lifestyle it's also about a community that supports each other so i think that is where it all comes so it's another way to interact with art instead of just here's a great piece that i can hang on my wall or here's something that i own it's here's something that i own and it gives me rights and privileges yeah. to access certain things yeah besides having it as your twitter profile picture i mean it's become like a prestige thing if you own a bayc or a crypto bank mm. it's become super prestigious yeah i just see so many different projects now on nfts and it's, it's a bit of a shame because there are so many of them to some extent, it sort of diminished the value of these art projects. It has. In my view, anyway. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think anyone can now go and produce 10,000 pieces with a click of a button. Yeah. And because that has become so quickly available and so easily available, it is just going to reduce the value. So there's a big argument or a big debate in the fine art and sort of the digital art market, fine art as in the traditional art pieces, either the value will go skyrocket and this will go down Mm -hmm. or else there will be a happy medium where they will trade or else the NFTs and so on where people don't have spaces to um, store might become the new thing. Mm. But then there is a question of sustainability, storing and more. 
displaying your art. So yeah, those are lots of multiple questions that come up with this. Do you feel as though then there will be fewer NFT projects because it's been done and because the market's been saturated? My sense of some of the commentary in the market is that NFTs in the style of community ownership via art, not in the way you do it, but in these sort of these crypto punk styles, they aren't going to, um, it's not going to generate new projects because people are just sort of done with them. Is, do you get that sense? Or, or I do. I do. I think the biggest thing that has happened over this, this market, the current market that mm. we are in, which is really, really crashed. You will find that the whole landscape has changed. All mm. these artists that were coming in who were looking to make a quick buck, mm. a lot of them have dropped out. I also think a lot of the NFT is, when it comes to these big 10,000 projects, it's based on trading rather than creating. So once it gets out into the market, you hope that it's going to trade for more than the, than the entity or the minter will get those royalties that we were speaking about earlier and it's another way to make money. So it's become more about trading and that is one bit about the NFTs that I personally find very challenging. I'm a creator, I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. I am not going to be, um, I'm not a trader. I cannot trade to save my life. Um, so yeah, and also with the fluctuation of the ETH and all the coins that keeps on going up and, yeah, down, yeah. up and down, you never know if you leave your money, if it's going to go up. So even though you only got like 0.44 ETH for it, mm -hmm. tomorrow it might be worth one ETH. So there is an exchange, there is a Forex element, if that makes sense, and the trading element, something which I personally think... I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, fine. Let someone else. And with the 10,000 um, art pieces, they definitely rely on that as well. Okay. That's a different element. So that is what makes NFTs different from fine art in essence. And you sort of bridge where they meet. And that's why I wanted you to come onto this because there is a lot of learning to do when people hear NFT and they just think of these projects and uh, to some extent when they get blown up because someone tweets about it. and But that's different to creating digital art, which sets itself on a particular blockchain to show provenance, movement, emotional attachment, yeah. royalties, etc. I want to move on a little bit now. You're, I, I know that your work has been featured at the World Economic Forum 2023, NFT, NYC 2023. Why are those, or why is that important to you to have your work exhibited there? Um, and has this digital media made it easy for you to connect with larger establishments? So going back to the world, I was featured, I exhibited at UNESCO in Paris in November mm -hmm. 2023, uh, 2022, sorry. And in Jan 23 at the World Economic Forum mm -hmm. and at NFT NYC, mm -hmm. I did multiple collaborations, partnerships, and I was featured artist with multiple companies. So... Each of them is quite different. Mm -hmm. The one that I did, but each of them has similarity. The similarity mm -hmm. and following the UN 17 SDG goals. And the difference was the one that was the first one at UNESCO was about the oceans, about how we are losing the oceans. And that's the one that I've written the book and the poem that right, I mentioned okay. earlier about Walk My World series. The second one, which was at the World Economic Forum, was my physical art. And that is titled A Legacy Misconstrued and it's inspired by Leonardo da Vinci. So that was the second one. Third one where I went into New York, it was a multiple of series. Power of the Gaze was one of them. 
And um, I also did Walk My World series. And I also sort of spoke at uh, with Unstoppable Domains, with Keyhurst, and with um, the Serhant Group. I don't know if you've heard of the Serhant Tell us. New York, big realtors, and they they sponsored one of the events. So I was featured there as well. So it was very, very different in terms of the people that were going to it. Paris was different. Um the World Economic Forum was completely... Probably very different as well. That was my physical art pieces. Uh, so that's not where... You, it wasn't digital in that respect. No, it wasn't digital. It was physical art. When you were dealing with these in terms of your digital art, were they requesting... Did they put a, a, a sort of advert out, we're looking for digital artists to contribute to us, or was it a case of you reaching out to them, or was something in the middle? Were they looking for digital artists? I mean, how did it, how did the interaction work? So everything is like, you know, the Web3 space, there is a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. And along with that, there is very large communities. And along with that, there is multiple Telegram groups and WhatsApp groups and so on. Mm -hmm. So I belong to a company called Unit Art, where I'm creating the art DAO for them. And through them, I get people asking me all the time. And this was in Davos at that time. So I said to them, I would love to do it. And they said, fine, send us your images and we will select. And they came back. So again, for World Economic Forum 24, I am now sort of curating a show for them and seeing how it goes. And we do it physically rather than digitally as well. So we are looking into it. It's a, it's becoming a bit of a mix and match. Mm. Digital is easier to show. It helps on shipping. It helps shipping 100%, right? You don't have to go and... and, exactly. and yeah. I guess then you've sort of managed to via the channels, and there are a lot of channels to communicate about digital art. You've been able to get into these establishments, maybe in a way that isn't available via normal, I was going to say normal, but by a fine art that's not digital. Do you think that's fair? I don't know how, the lines are very blurred right now. Yeah. On my unit art token, we've got um, Sotheby's, they've just launched a big sort of fund for digital arts. So we've got the one of the curators on our groups. And then we have someone from Christie's on another group. So it's becoming quite mixed. So the lines are getting blurred. It is no longer like what I'm clear about is what I'm doing as an artist. But when it comes to the marketing element of it, there is a big mixture out there. Well, at least these large establishments, these art houses, these auction houses are finally sort of cottoned on and are yeah. are, are now pushing it. And, and credit to you from the early days of you doing that. So, Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think it's going to go far. I mean, Tezos is another um, blockchain that really supports fine art. They have weekly podcasts on LinkedIn, mm. always open to promoting fine art artists. So it's like a really nice blockchain. The blockchains are making statements now. So you've got people like Maker's Place, which is fine art, mm -hmm. and they do very rare digital art. So you have to be selected to be an artist onto Maker's Place. So I'm on Maker's Place. Known Origin is another one, which is a selected. Known Origin is a UK-based company in Manchester, and I do support them completely. Last year, they got bought out by eBay, though. <laughs> okay. So now I don't know where they are going to go, but I, I'm assuming it'll still be fine art. Okay. Well, I, I hopefully it all works out for them and, and you being featured on there is is obviously a, a huge achievement. I know that you're on Nifty Gateway as well and we'll, we'll come to a little bit of that later. 
I just want to talk about copyright for a moment. It was one of the things that um, you and I spoke about when we first met, actually. Um, how does copyright and NFTs occupy this space? And I understand there's obviously legalities and, and uh, about how copyright interacts, but a lot of people get, as far as I'm aware, quite confused. They go, well, if there's an NFT and it's a piece of art, I can just right-click, copy, paste, and I've got the image. So in your view, how does copyright and, and digital art interact with each other? So just because you can right-click, copy, paste doesn't mean you own it. It doesn't give you the right to use it. It doesn't allow you to say, this is my piece of art. That is something that is not allowed. It is illegal to do that. The, there, is, there are challenges there. Let me first put it out there. Mm -hmm. If you copy and paste someone's image, Matt, and if you change it by 30, let me get this number right, by 33.3% uh, and you've edited it completely, you can then say that you've created it, which is very, very scary. Mm. This is something on the NFTs that really is disturbing to yeah. me. Um, it shouldn't be allowed, but people do do that. People are using AI as well to generate. So there is a lot of different mediums out there. I think artists like me and other artists who are very, very much passionate and have come from the art background are very much aware of what to do and what not to do and what is right and what is not right. Mm -hmm. But I don't think everyone follows the same principle. So yeah. yes, there is an element of confusion there. The uh, The second answer to your question is, it is quite clear and the laws are very clear. You cannot take anyone's digital art. Intellectual property generally, yeah, yeah. The third thing is there are companies that are now coming out who are saying that we are selling the rights of your NFT to brands. So this is something new that is coming up and okay. about. So when your rights of an NFT get sold to a brand or you get into a collaboration with them, the brand is allowed to use them for promoting their at a, at a price, at a cost, at a contract. Mm -hmm. But what the companies are doing, the intermediary companies yeah. are doing is they place a timeline on it. So then they're protecting you, they're protecting the brands and the companies and organizations who want to use the arts. So that is a different way. Is it sort of like an automated license then? Yeah. Because normally exactly. you could just license your piece of art, whatever it may be, yeah. and for a certain period of time. Are, are you saying then that these companies are able to automate to some extent that, that process? So instead of signing contracts in the way that lawyers do? It's No, no. It's all done on the blockchain. It's all done on Web3. There is an inbuilt smart contract and it clearly states this is how we are going to do it. You will have the exclusive right for one year or two years or whatever you may agree in principle. And at the end of the two years, the copyright comes back to the artist or you may continue to use it and give the artist royalties. So that is the way they are structuring it. So there is a big the future of NFTs is going right now is like collaborations. Brands and artists are collaborating to create the new future. So that is what is happening. L'Oreal is currently hosting an open call for all artists to come in and exhibit and provide, send their NFTs. And then they will select four or five NFTs to use it for their brands. So again, there is the, this is a honest way of doing it if that makes sense, in terms of copyright. Yeah. So you acknowledge the artist, you give them the respect, and you give them the, you know, the due that is due to them because they've worked on it. Well, that's essentially what copyright law seeks to protect. It's creative output, right? 
And I know that there were stories of essentially people just taking uh, a JPEG of a famous piece of art, creating an NFT out of it, and then pretending as though they had the copyright to that art or to that NFT. Now, there is a difference between having a legal title to an NFT and owning the copyright of the art which sits within. And I think it's an important distinction to make. Um, so although someone may sell uh, you an NFT with a piece of art on it, it may not be the case that you own the copyright or that the seller owns the copyright, or even when you sell your NFT, that the title, um, sorry, that the copyright passes along with the title. They're different rights. So we always need to be sure that um, copyright is considered when art, digital art, in the form of NFTs is being sold. Exactly. I mean, there is a lot of information out there on the web and you mm. could search the provenance, you can search the artist, you can see who they are, mm. though there is digital identity and one is hidden mm. behind the number of the wallet, but still there are ways and means to do it and you can understand it. So it's always advisable if someone is out there looking to buy a piece of art or looking to buy an NFT to do your due research. Mm. And I think going back to my original point, NFTs might crash and fine art might go up or NFTs might go up with collaborations and mm. partnerships and brands. That is what might go up, but it has to be done within the legal frame. It's got to be done properly. Yeah. With your NFTs, do you, I mean, the, the default position is that the artist maintains the copyright, but with your NFTs, do you allow the title of copyright to transfer? No. Every time you maintain the copyright. Yeah. I maintain the copyright and I get the royalties on it. Yeah, so I okay. do not, but I cannot stop anyone from right-clicking, copying and pasting exactly. and editing it. Like I said, anyone can edit it up to 33%. If you go into my website, now my website was created two years ago. If you go into my website, you cannot right-click on any image for my fine art. Ah, nice. You won't be able to do it. But if you go into Artsy or if you go where I exhibit elsewhere or you can take a screenshot on Instagram, of course you can do it. Mm. So, you know, it's very confusing. I think there there does need to be some clarity. Um, hopefully people are getting decent information to understand Absolutely. that the copyright doesn't pass. I'm not surprised to learn that you're maintaining your copyright. I would if I was an artist yeah. and that's the right way to do it. It entitles you to copyright protection. But I sell my fine art. I put a disclaimer very clearly. Mm -hmm. All the copyrights belong to the artist. Everything belongs to the artist. So if I wanted to create a digital creation of my fine art, mm. I can do that without any questions asked. No one can tell me. My collector can't tell me. Mm -hmm. Why have you done a digital print? Because I'm allowed to do a digital print. Well, you have the copyright to it. And that's your exactly. default position, right? Exactly. Um, this sort of goes back to something we were talking about a little bit before about your um, ability to use... A web3 networking to be able to sort of meet different people and to some extent that's that's how we met so you, you've sort of penetrated the corporate world i think um there was a day that was organized by carmel king who was um previously on this podcast she and grant thornton did a day um about fine art it was called um i think it was called fine art in the blockchain and ecosystem and it specifically spoke about the hack of uh, Proofs founder Kevin Rose um, and his NFTs that had been stolen. Can you tell me a little bit about very, very briefly what happened with Kevin Rose and a little bit about how we met the day and how that has a benefit to you? Absolutely. So first of all, um, being or penetrating into the corporate world, 
this has been my industry for the last 20 years. Most of my collectors are law firms or VCs or private equity houses. So if you go worldwide, wherever you go, you will see a Nanda Chiara hanging on the Nanda Chiara would be mostly at these places. If not at these places, then it would be um, the top sort of uh, profile people that work there. Mm -hmm. So that is... So coming into this world was not new to me, but coming into the fraud office sort of event was new to me. So that was something completely that I wasn't prepared for. I have to say, I was like, whoa, this is different. Um, but uh, so working within this is very simple for me. It is not like I have to recreate myself to go and speak to them. Um, they've been my clients so I do know what mm -hmm. they look for and what they're not looking at in mm -hmm. terms of fine art. In terms of digital art, there's a big cross which is like this. None of my traditional clients want to buy NFTs and they're very clear. When I first got into the NFTs I offered all of them the first right to buy the NFT and yeah. they all said no. What are you talking about? You cannot create an NFT out of the work you've sold to us. It is ours. Yeah. And I'm like but what if I go and make a fo take a photo and do a digital print? Yeah, yeah, digital print you can do, but you cannot sell the NFT. And well, you maintain the copyright, so you... I do. But a lot of the artists have decided to leave that because we don't want to sort of disrupt. I mean, Web3 is meant to disrupt yeah. economies. Web3 is meant to disrupt the current system that mm -hmm. is playing at the moment. But that was my biggest challenge. So... I have a separate clientele completely and my fine art is my fine art. My digital art is my digital art. And it is not walking side by side. It is walking at two different paces. So that is something I should be honest and upfront about and say, this is how it's working. I wonder whether they knew what they were buying when they bought your fine art. Because what they're buying is they're buying what is in front of them, that canvas full of stuff. Yeah. What they're not buying is the ability to replicate that. It's interesting that they were upset that you were considering making an NFT out of it. Maybe they didn't know what they were buying. I, I think they knew that they were buying it. But what they didn't know at that time, though, one of the people who's bought it from me was my editor from G2 Magazine. Uh, he has bought one piece and he didn't appreciate when I asked him the question, I'm going to convert it into an NFT. What do you think? Would you like to have the first option to buy the NFT? And that gives you, you know, and at that time I was explaining, this is how royalties work. If you sold it, then you would get 80% and mm -hmm. I would get 10% and then the platform takes, I think, 5%. I can't remember all the numbers yeah, yeah. and so on, but this is like a couple, but none of them want to. Recently, I sold a piece to um, to a UK law firm, Coolies. Yeah. And I did want to give them the NFT as a gift, but I was so conscious that they were very much against the concept of NFTs and digital art. They were very clear they were not open to it. So I took a back step and I didn't do it. And I thought I would be overstepping my mark. So that's one company I can, I'm very proud to say, going back to my conversation, that I got to see where my art is and where it's hanging because they invited me to come and speak. The one question I was asked is, what do you think of NFTs? I said at that time, I said, I do like them, but my biggest challenge is I'm not a trader. I'm an artist and yep. a creator and I cannot, 
I cannot trade to save my life. I do not understand the numbers and so on. So that was something that always comes up. A, a lot of the clients that you're selling NFTs to, are they worried about scams? Are they worried about getting hacked more than maybe people who buy your fine art? Of course they're worried. It is it is the wild, wild west as we know, Matt. Mm. Everything is not clear. Um, creating your own wallet, running your own wallet is a challenge, not to say the least. It has become quite sophisticated now. Oh. And I think the first thing one always needs to get is a hard wallet, a mistake that I made and I didn't get one and my wallet got hacked. Again, I am not a technical uh, person, so I think I did find it challenging. Yeah. I have entered into this world, but I do know the challenges and there are quite a few. It's not just one of the wallet itself. It's also keeping up with technology, it's keeping up with what is new, keeping up with the current, and it is changing. The landscape changes every day. It's super fast paced. And I, I, I've, over these podcasts, I think I've mentioned many times that I have a hard wallet. I think they're just great because it means that you, although you have to remember your seed phrases and how to access and prime, it at least gives you that ability to just pull it out and you know that it's there. And, and that can happen with NFTs and it's a good way to store stuff. So early in the year, uh, I mentioned my friend uh, Nick Hemming-Brown, um, the director at Connell Brown. We went to this exhibition um, at the Design Museum called Weird Sensation Feels Good, the World of ASMR, which is um, Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, which is, in its marketing material, the exhibition is described as a physical sensation of euphoria or deep calm, sometimes a tingling in the body, triggered through sound, touch, and movement. And the, the marketing material goes on. It says, this is the first exhibition of its kind to lift the world. Uh, yeah, to lift the world of ASR, ASMR out from your screen and into the physical space. Step into an acoustically tuned environment and understand how people are using new and existing tools and materials to navigate a complex world. Then when I went there, they displayed lots of what would be called, I think, sort of NFT art, really satisfying high resolution video graphics. Um, and an example of that was, um, and I'll, I'll put a link to this, hopefully it's on, on YouTube, I think it is. There's one, um, it's by uh, Wang and Soderstrom. Um, it's called Synthetic Crops from 2021. I also note that we've got in the Mocha Museum in Amsterdam, the Modern Contemporary um, Gallery, um, NFTs, they had an exhibition last year, a uh, new future NFT exhibition, featured Beeple's work uh, along with many others. Does your output, does your art belong in these spaces? I mean, what, what's the draw here? How would you describe these styles? Is it something that forms your world or not? So the ASMR, going back to that, is your first question. I think it's an amazing, amazing uh, sort of creation that people are working on, mm. um, there is a lot of benefits to it. And because there's a lot of emotional benefit to it, that is why I do like them. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to, I focus on, just to give you one brief background about mm. me, I focus a lot on the art of giving. Mm -hmm. I've got a big chapter, which is art of giving, where I give art to charities because um, either to the NHS, which was my last piece, went to Chelsea Investments to Hospital, mm otherwise to the girl child and through my NFT series, the first one that I created a beautiful mind was focusing on the neurodivergent community. So mm -hmm. I work within these three or four um, sort of sectors in the art of giving. The one thing that the ASMR is addressing is the sensation and the feeling of being positive. And I think 
we need that. That is something that is needed in the world. So really? yes, it is absolutely wonderful. And I think they have the power to create it. I also believe what everyone is trying to do now with the metaverses is to try and create those experiences, try and bring people in, mm -hmm. trying and getting the brands to come in and to be part of this and mm -hmm. to be like, we want a brand where people come and experience it. I did a, um, I created a NFT model in the metaverse as a proposal for a big crystal company. I won't name it, but mm -hmm. everyone knows the high street crystal company that everyone loves. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it didn't go forward because they were not ready to be in the metaverse. This was two years ago. But if it had gone forward, I created the caves, I created the journey, and then we were going to do more interactions, but I created the concept. You're walking through this, you're going through the caves. In the caves, you see the crystal. These are healing crystals. When you touch this crystal, you feel this. Mm -hmm. When you touch that crystal, so it's the whole, I, I'm trying to say, the whole experience is very important, I think. And I believe brands can benefit from this, um, creating this mm -hmm. whole experience because usually you have an advert which is 20 seconds or 10 seconds. And, and you flat play, on the TV, right? It's flat on the TV and you go boom and it goes and then you don't see it. Whereas, you know, the John Lewis um, adverts that you see, the Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People love it because it got meaning to it. Mm -hmm. That is what we should move towards. And this is something that brands do. So it's... Metaverses create that experience, yeah. move into that experience, enjoy the experience and sort of grow their clients. But it's also giving back to the community. So I'm bringing the art of giving, which the brands can do. When you touch the, for example, when you touch the crystal, it's healed you in a certain way. When you go into a cave, it's a mm -hmm. chakra healing that you're doing. When you do this, you're doing that. So all of these experiences are very important, but there isn't, I think technology still needs to catch up to creating that completely in the metaverse and more. I think the metaverse is, is still relatively conceptual, but it may be that brings us back to where we started, where we are talking about um, multidisciplinary or multi um let's let's make sure we're the right way multi-dimensional maybe that's the point is that what you're talking about with these crystals is not just you know something flat but there's a different dimension to it you can theoretically in the metaverse you can walk up to it you can feel it you can touch it and that brings an extra level of relationship with the art into the experience right yeah you can't experience all the five senses right now in the metaverse and mm -hmm. that is pulling it back I know they've got artists, the Design Museum again. I went to an exhibition. They had this this female and she was a robot, an mm -hmm. AI model. And she was painting as each person was walking in and out. And she was, but it was so, um, how do you call it? Very mechanical. Right, yeah. And she looked real. She looked like she was doing the right thing. Mm. But then we started changing positions and we sat there for 40 minutes to see why she not painting us immediately. So she retains a memory because the hand that they created could only go at a certain speed. So she has to retain it and then do it 40 minutes later or 20 minutes later. That is how we figured out she is acknowledging she is, she was looking at it. Would that art be something that people would want to buy? I don't know. It's very mechanical. It's very, very much AI generated, but adding a um, figure to it. So 
yeah, that was one of the things. Again, design museum is really good. Yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And there was a massive comfy area where you could just lie down and watch videos of people grooming dogs and sewing beads into things. And everyone was just... I actually came up feeling like I'd been to a spa. It was really weird. Yeah. It's really, really odd. Um, but anyway, I know this isn't on our question sheet, but it's just now we are at a stage where we're sort of... We're, we, we understand NFT art. And then the, the big thing at the moment is AI art. Do you have any thoughts on that? AI art. I think AI art has a place. I don't know if it is me. I don't think it is me. It does have a place in the world, but AI should... There is a big conflict. I'm going to come from the art perspective because I think that would be more fair to speak. When AI was sort of hitting a couple of months ago and it was becoming so big with all of these mid-journey, Dali and so on, a lot of artists were coming and they were presenting their books and then the discussions, the group meetings and the discussions were, why should we say it's AI art? We can just say it's our art. And I was like, but that is not ethical. I don't believe. And then there was a lot of confusion, but now artists are openly saying it's AI art. They're openly saying they've created it using AI. Mm. But it's like who comes up with the best phrase and well it's about it's about prompts isn't it so you yeah. can put into mid journey a certain number of prompts and all of a sudden out spills this piece of art but i guess we were talking about copyright issues of copyright are really interesting around ai it's not clear at all but if the value in what you're doing and and, and you've explained nicely is it's about ownership right yeah who owns it there isn't really an answer to that now. Who owns the piece of art when it's created? Is, is there? And the answer is we don't know. But the, these points seem important to you. Issues around copyright are important to you. It seems issues around ownership. And it seems as though we've got now a new medium where maybe those issues haven't been resolved yet. No. I'll tell you what a lot of artists are doing, though. They're taking a lot of the AI images mm. from, the, um, from different places they are then importing it into their PCs, their laptops, uh, whatever program they're using, and then they're adding onto it and recreating it and retouching it. Now, do you call that art? I don't know. But that is like they're mixing it up and then they're saying it is theirs. Again, I have, I have, personally, I've got questions around that. I still like the fine art. I do love digital art, but my, for me, art is when my fingers are touching either the screen or the canvas that touches there and I'm creating it so I can touch it and feel it and see it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I need all the sensations. Um, but for everyone, that is not the case. Everyone likes to do it in their own style. So uh, Yeah, I mean, if, if people are taking AI art, right, and then they're, they're taking it home, maybe chopping it up, reimagining it, Maybe that's just what collage is to some extent. I mean, the answers aren't there. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear or at least see how the future of this goes, especially. I know we hadn't even planned on talking about AI art. Just, I mean, it came to mind, but um, I, I think that there is definitely some, some issues around ownership, copyright. Um, coming back to you a little bit more and back on track, I think is probably the best, best <laughs> thing to do next. I've seen your art's been made available on Nifty Gateway. Can you tell us what Nifty Gateway is, what it does for you, why you've chosen to sell there, your experience generally? 
So Nifty Gateway, I went as a curated show, which was curated by one of the companies based out of Dubai, one of mm -hmm. the art companies. So I went onto Nifty Gateway. So my works on Nifty Gateway were um, sort of introduced that way. Nifty Gateway itself is a very amazing platform to sign on to it. What I really liked, which no other platform I've been through, mm -hmm. but Nifty Gateway is an American company. So when I went in to sign, I had to fill the full form out, including declaring who I am, declaring that I am not registered in the US. So it was like a full, clear, authentic, mm -hmm. you know, one part of me was like, why am I giving so much information of myself <laughs> yeah. onto this platform? Yeah. But I did appreciate it. I did appreciate where they come from and how they sort of had structured it. I was a visiting artist on their um, mm. curated um, show. Actually, that show was called To AI or Not To AI. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked the questions now. Yeah. So that is what the show was called. And all of us artists had said Not To AI. So that was, there was five of us selected from the 8,000 applications mm -hmm. that went through. So for me, that was an amazing experience to be on Nifty Gateway. Um, Nifty Gateway itself has got more um, singers, songwriters and artists who are singers rather than fine art. Yeah. So I do go on to Nifty Gateway when there is a curated show, but I haven't applied to them. Uh, they applied to Maker's Place and to Known Origin as the two platforms. So that is where I come from. Because I know it's a huge marketplace where you can buy NFTs. I mean, it, it, there, there seems to be a lot. OpenSea's a, a big one. I know that they've had some some trouble with copyright and and uh, about artists coming trust forward. OpenSea's at the moment. I don't. Okay, I, not that I don't trust OpenSea. I've got some artworks there. Mm. What I don't like about OpenSea is they keep on changing. They threw out a couple of my Iranian co-artist friends off the marketplace overnight because of the problems yeah, in Iran. Yeah. Then they did the same thing with the Russian artist. Then they changed their uh, policy on royalty. So it's very political. And I don't like that sort of attitude towards business personally. You felt like they were moving the goalposts each time in their what? They keep on moving the goalposts. They don't. And the artist is the one who's left behind. Mm. And um, so there is that question I haven't seen any other platforms do that. No, well, I think Nifty Gateway's done by Gemini, is that right? Yeah. And I've had an experience dealing with all of the exchanges in some capacity or other, and Gemini have always been great. So I'm always I'm always a fan of, of, of them and Nifty Gateway and the stuff that they do. So um, I think it's a good place to be on. So if someone's done a fine art degree and they want to start making NFT art, how would they go around doing that and what advice would you give them? So my advice is, if you're thinking that going into NFT and making a quick buck is a way, I would definitely not do that because that is not what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. If you're here and want, are here for the long term, then yes, you should look at it. In terms of the market, I would really go and do your own research, DYOR as a phrase, as they call it. I would understand the whole technicalities behind it. Minting, how do you mint? How do you create? How do you... Um, how do you market? You also need to grow a community. Mm -hmm. To assume your Web 2 clients are going to come into Web 3 is something that is doesn't happen. So mm -hmm. just be aware of it. Learn how to do a few transactions. Go and look at the transactions. Go and look at what the market is doing. Mm -hmm. You may not sell anything. 
but you should be there maybe just to get your presence out there mm-hmm. and to see what it means for you. And last but not least, I would always recommend get a hard wallet to protect yourself. <laughs> yeah, and understand, I guess, how that works. What does an address mean? Just just understand the basics. Basics. What does a wallet mean? How many wallets are out there? Which wallet is right for you? Do you need a hard wallet? Do you need a cold wallet? Are you going, which platform are you going for? Where are you going to apply? There are so many questions within the NFTs. Mm. I think one question which a lot of the NFT artists don't know is storage. Each and every one of these pieces, if you're making it and you want to have it as a good print quality as well, to a certain extent, for me, maybe because I wanted to do eight feet by eight feet, my usual large oversized canvases, um, but everyone needs to understand storage. A lot of the artists, the NFT artists, they're facing problems with storage. They've created so much art, they cannot store it anymore. They have to buy extra storage space. So now they're learning. So th- we also have the issue of sustainability coming mm-hmm. in, of course. But a lot of these artists have created so many pieces which are still not on the marketplace, mm. which are still not there. And they're al- already struggling. And I saw that because I was curating exhibitions and people were struggling to upload. And they couldn't upload the full image because of the storage challenges and so on. So just be aware of what you're creating, how you're creating. Look at it from a two to three year sort of horizon, be ready for the challenges, be ready for the changes. Would it be sensible to maybe recommend working in it best you can, either the blockchain industry or something like that? So you understand, you sort of peek behind the curtain to understand what the industry needs. And then when you transition over or when you start creating NFTR, you know what some of the problems are in advance? Absolutely. I would do as many courses as you could. I would go on to get a introduction into blockchain technology and into Web3 as well. I would definitely work on multiple avenues. Also attend all the uh, meetups and all the networking that is going around. So you should definitely look at all of those before you decide to go in. It's not an easy, uh, let me put it this way, it is the most rewarding when it comes to creativity. And it won't be an easy journey, but it is rewarding. Definitely. Think, Think long term. Yeah. I'm going to finish this off um, by asking you to to sort of talk through one of your pieces. I've got it on my laptop, and I think for those um, viewing this on video, uh, my face is now going to be covered up, and we're going to put um, some art up. For those listening, um, apologies. Obviously, you won't be able to see this art, um, but hopefully we can put a link together to um, to at least click through should you be listening. Um, I'm going to pass over to you now to tell us a little bit about, first of all, what this is called, what it's about, Um, and anything that you want to say specifically about it. Absolutely. This is one of my creations, which was on Nifty Gateway, actually, uh, Matt, now that we mention it. This is titled Power of the Gaze, and it was inspired by F. Scott Fitzgerald's um, quote, which says, the world can be as big or as small as you like. It is in your eyes. And when I first started into the... um, fine art industry. My first series was uh, was based around the eye as well. Hence, I wanted to bring this out again. This painting, this particular digital canvas that I've got here, I've got multiple layers and multiple dimensions onto it. What you see is photography. I've also used a tool and an app which has got generative art. And then in addition to that, I have gone back and recreated with um, the digital art onto the canvas as well. So there are multiple elements that you see. 
the eyes, you can see some of them are really big, some of them are tiny and some of them are like little babies. But it is basically they're traveling and they're traveling from one place to another place. As the eyes have got all these tentacles, if I should call them tentacles or eyelashes, which have become really long and they keep on connecting to the next eye next to them and the family keeps on growing. It's it's supposed to be a series that travels and travels and picks up on what is happening in the surroundings and they keep on growing as they grow. It was supposed to do with sustainability as well and how we see sustainability together. Yes, we can get rid of a lot of challenges that the UN SDG has done, though it's a long, long walk, but it's based around that. So, yeah. Thanks for that. And you'll notice if you look closely that it's got your eye in it. Yes, I that is. Just before we started, I was like, <laughs> so there is a photographic element of this, right? There is a photography element. There is a generative art element, which I used a different app for. And then there is the canvases, which I've used. If I'm not mistaken, I've created this. It's got over 45 different layers in this piece. If I'm not mistaken, I can't remember. I won't hold it to you. Well, thank you very much for joining today. I really appreciate thank that. You. Thank you. This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice, and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins and music by Luke Carey. Thank you for listening and see you next time.